Welcome to MPS. Uh, tonight's sermon is one I think that we'll all find near and dear to our hearts. <clears throat> um, it It's about a subject matter that I think every human being struggles with. And all of us, I think, are in need of understanding of in order for us to... Um, to better interact with each other and our uh, and, and and our faith. So tonight we open up to Romans chapter five and we look at verse nineteen. This is through the New American Standard Version, and uh, for as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. And the word I want to focus on here is the disobedience and obedience, the perekuo and the hupakuro, which is the Greek words there. So the hupakuro is the attentive hearkening, the compliance or submission, the obedience part, and the perekuo, is the inattention or the disobedience part. And it's, it, it's important for us to understand that these are not like new subject matter. It's not like a new thing that's going on with Christians. This is something that's been going on for a long time. Paul was speaking to the people in, in Rome at the time, in the Church of Rome, and he was basically, you know, he was putting things into perspective for them. He was talking about the, the first man in order for us to understand why this disobedience reigns so uh, supremely in some of our lives sometimes is because of this original sin, this original fall of mankind that we see back in Genesis. So when we look at this, and if you go back into your Bibles, and I encourage you to read Genesis 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and it will show you the depth and the magnitude of our problem and the why of it. It's very important. But more importantly is to understand it in our day-to-day -day lives today. This is a part of our down and our fallen nature. Paul also points out that even though Adam uh, made the ultimate mistake, later on, when we get into the Gospels, into the New Testament, and we arrive at the time period of Jesus Christ, he comes and he, he, he writes all the wrongs. So, we're all condemned by Adam and Eve, but we're all restored by Christ. We are born into this original sin, but our understanding how how Christ died for our sins and he paid the ultimate price for our disobedience gains us eternal life and also how now as we're new creation and new creatures in our obedience to Christ in our learning to live like him becoming like Paul as he describes himself in his epistles a bond servant or a slave to Jesus Christ we gain absolute freedom it's very difficult for us to gain absolute freedom when we're living 
in a disobedient life. And that can be uh, very evident in our day-to-day living. Some people are so disobedient that they end up in prison, drug abuse, and all kinds of other places. Some of us are disobedient in the fact that we have a very difficult time in falling into um, mature Christian relationships with others. And it becomes, then, a much graver problem, a bigger problem that takes a deep hold or root in our lives. Now, I want to quickly kind of go and look back into Genesis really quickly. I don't want to cover it all, but a bit of it, so that I can share this important thing. So you got Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden. Now, Adam, you know, they're together, the helpmate and, and Adam, Eve. And so they're, there they are. They're living in this paradise, which is perfect, and enters in the first form of rebellion, the serpent. The serpent, like anything, he is already in disobedience to God, and he wants to perpetuate this disobedience into God's creation because he loathes the very essence of God. And so he approaches the woman, and then he tempts her. And so disobedience begins right here with the entertainment of sin with the entertainment of the promise of something greater than God. And so, when the woman saw, we're going to verse 6 now in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband and he ate it. So first the woman sees that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes, so she desired it with her eyes. This is how easy things are for us. We're very much a vision-driven creation. It was pleasant. It looked good. And it was desirable to her because it would make her wise. And and this all goes into the verse before it because this is the temptation. You know, in verse 3, But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, or verse 4, You will not die. For God knows, verse 5, that you... God knows that on that day you will eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. It's kind of funny that the disobedience that we we inherited, right, from Adam, is first given to us, not even by the tree, it's given to us by the desire to go to the tree, by the desire to eat of the tree, to be in direct disobedience to what? God's word, which said, don't eat of the tree, but we did it anyways. Now, just like in real life, there's a consequence to these actions. There's a consequence to to the thing 
that we do that creates enmity between us and God. Because God hates disobedience. God hates these things. And because he's a father, he's going to punish. And he punishes in a just way. He doesn't outright kill Adam and Eve, no. He first confronts them about the problem. And then realizing, he already knew, but realizing that this is now going to be the new norm. So he has to change the script. So he does. Now whether or not, you know, this is a predestined script, which I believe that Jesus, he knew that the nature was going to fall. But he also knew that Christ was coming. And that's why you see it so foreshadowed throughout the Bible. But all we know is that our first father, Adam, completely messed it up. He was in complete disobedience, him and Eve, absolutely. So, God confronts him about this and Eve. And of course, they pass the buck, one to the other, then the other to the serpent. And... You know, God judges the serpent. Boom. Right there on the spot. And then he judges Eve on the spot with consequences. Then he judges Adam on the spot with consequences. Right? This is the nature of God. He doesn't deviate from his nature. This is what he is. He's a God of consequence. We were happy in the garden. We were good in the garden. We broke our... We broke our obedience with God, and therefore we pay the ultimate price. Now, <clears throat> as I said before, there'd be there's foreshadowing to the coming of Christ and all these things, but there's the consequence. Just like in real life, there's a consequence for our disobedience. There's a consequence for not following the speed limits. There's a consequence for not uh, paying your taxes. There's a consequence for not living in proper society. There's a consequence for um, your rude behavior. Consequences are a part of disobedience. It's, a, it's an outright ingrained trait in, off, in us. And that's because God created it as such. It's in us. It's our moral conscience. It's our obligation to do what is right versus our obligation to do what is wrong. It's ingrained in us because God created in us in that very instance. The idea of consequence didn't exist before the tree, before the temptation, because it was in perfect harmony. So our moral conscience comes from this consequence, the right and wrong. <clears throat> Our disobedience was born even before Eve touched the tree. It was in her intent. Her eyes were filled with words of deceit. Her eyes were filled with an appeared good fruit and the promise of godlike power. So, now we know that where our disobedience comes from and how it affects us in our, in our daily lives and why we suffered the consequences, we have to look now to the coming of Christ, the new Adam that appears in, in, in the Gospels, 
We see him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We hear of him told throughout the epistles and it's and his importance to the predominant obedience that we can now live in because of his sacrifice. And of course, Paul, this is what he's saying in Romans. He just put it in a much more simple manner because he had to get right to the point with people. As should we in our in our normal daily lives. We should get right to the point with people and we should talk about things of this nature because people are always curious as to where our moral conscience come from. Many people believe that it is an evolution of emotional um, progression. But those of us who are believers in Christ, we know that it comes from the beginning. We know that it comes from the Garden of Eden. We know that it comes from our, what? Disobedience. So, we get to Genesis, we go from Genesis, now we're into the Gospels. Jesus Christ is born 4 BC, 4 BC and he, he comes of age. This is a man who knows a lot about obedience. Through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. He comes as a perfect, unblemished lamb. He brings with him a perfect life. He's a good son, but better than a good son. He's a perfect son. He's a good carpenter. He's a good friend. He's all of these things, but he's them to a perfection. Maybe not in his actual crafting skills, but in his attitude, he presents no sin. He is an unblemished lamb. He is a man who, who stirs up controversy, but not from a perspective of divisive nature. He stirs it up from the perspective of truth. And in his truth, he stirs up many things during his time, his 33 years. The scripture that comes to me is one that I hold very sacred. It's Luke 22, verse uh, 42 to 44, and that's Jesus in the garden, and he's praying that God would take this cup from him, which is not a disobedient act. In fact, this is probably the most obedient act that he does. This would be the opportunity for any person to run. But he doesn't run. He goes off to be alone, he prays in the garden, and he is sweating. He's so... I want to say, for the lack of a better word, he was probably terrified, very stressed, because he knows what's about to face this human body and how horrible it's about to be, that he sweats drops of blood. This is a point where I think many people would not be able to continue to obey, comply with God's plan. He is in complete submission. He is in complete com compliance to God's plan that he is not going to move. This is what Paul is talking about. The obedience, the compliance. He 
even the disciples, many of them which could not stick around when this began to happen because they understood the consequences of what was going to happen. But unto the cross Christ went. Unto the cross he went for your salvation. He didn't stick around and, and question the very fabric of everything. No, he went and he found obedience. And he went to the cross where he perished. And then he was resurrected three days later. All throughout this week, I think of this word obedience. And when we begin to become obedient to God's will in our life, what does that look like, I ask myself? Does it look like fancy cars or does it look like lavish friendships with very important people? Does it look like full bank accounts? No, not that I say, not that I'm saying that full bank account or lavish friends, that's wrong. That may be your course in obedience, but it's not mine. God brings me to a place where he has to humble me, and I have to be willing to become obedient to his path so that I can see where it is that I'm going. Which means that I, at times, must feel uncomfortable in order for me to grow. I always think of that. Uh, chapter in James. I love the book of James. But I count it as pure joy when I'm going through hard times. I'm learning to do this. I'm learning to enjoy the troubled times too. And I'm also, I've learning, learned in my Christian walk to become obedient to God's will in my life and also to be obedient in my Christian walk to those who are mentoring me, to those that I'm in relationship with, and the community of Christ, which is really difficult for a lot of people in today's society. Because my disobedience will put me right back where? To where Adam and Eve stood in front of God. And what does God do to sin? He disciplines it, sometimes very harshly. And so as the week went through this week and I had the pleasure and the opportunity and the wonderful time that I did in, in being obedient to God and actually helping someone else become obedient to God and seeing the fruit of that, even though it is a difficult journey, I stand in awe of God, of his character when it's able to shine through us into others. I stand in reverence to the understanding that Paul is talking about being a bond servant to Jesus Christ, to being an obedient servant rather than a disobedient one. And obedience is a, is a difficult thing to teach, but it's also a difficult thing to learn. But it's very important in our Christian walk that we learn to become obedient Christians obedient to those you are accountable to in the church 
but foremost importance being obedient to God's calling and direction in your life. So as you go forward today, in your evening or in your day, however you're listening to this, I pray God would instill in your heart the need to be obedient, to become that bondservant to your community, to not become obstinate in your walk with him, to not become disobedient and then become hardened to the things of God. Christ, that he would dwell within you and that you would see Christ in the least of these. That was another major thing that came up. But do unto the least of these. Do not get hung up on the things that create division in your church. Do not get hung up on the things that cause division within your spirit. Hang on to the things of Christ. I pray that as you sleep this evening or wake this morning, that God would continuously be with you and that the spirit of Jesus Christ would flow through you to others in your community. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.